Welcome to the Story Weaver podcast. I'm your host, Bron Rauk Mitchell. Come sit with me under the story tree as I weave a tale or two for you. Greetings and salutations. Welcome to Storytime with Bron. Today I'll be sharing some of my favourite fairy tales by the Brothers Grimm. Some of these tales I have already adapted myself, and some I plan to adapt somewhere down the line. Before I start to read those tales, though, I'll start off with a flash fiction story of my own. The Curator was written and published in 2014, and appears in Ghostly Echoes, Spooky Tales from Around the World. Ghostly Echoes is an international anthology of spooky flash fiction tales available to purchase on Amazon and brought to you by the Chapter Book Challenge. The Curator by Bron Rauk Mitchell Hey Mike! Duck! Mike ducked down, but it was too late. A heavy clod of dirt struck him hard in the side of the head. He sprung up and spun around on his heels to face his attacker. He spotted three of the O'Johnsons. They were a family of bullies who caused a lot of problems in the small village of Forcliff, where they lived. The O'Johnson family were a large family. There were seven boys, their parents, and an uncle that lived with them. Mike regretfully shook his head. He didn't have time to fight them. He was already late for school, and he'd been told by his head teacher that if he was late again this week, he'd have to stay in after school had finished. He turned and jogged towards the school, with the jeering taunts of the bullies behind him. As he came through the main street of Forcliff, he noticed several of his friends gathered around the community bulletin board, chattering animatedly. He wandered over to see what all the fuss was about. Mike greeted his friends with a cheerful, Hey guys! Before asking, Hey, what's going on? Are aliens taking over the town? Has Principal Art been transferred? His mates laughed and shoved him good-naturedly, before scrunching closer to let him see the sign that had them all excited. Max Travelling Fairs of Wonders was emblazoned in fancy gold lettering across a sky-black background. Pictured in the middle of the poster was a scarlet circus-like tent, proudly bearing the lettering, featuring Mr. Maxwell's Old Worldy Curios, followed by the dates, times and location of the show. Forcliff was a sleepy country village in the middle of nowhere, or at least that was how it felt to Mike. There was a lot to keep him and his friends occupied, but visiting fairs were a rare treat. Mike was just as excited as his mates, and he hoped his parents could afford to take him. Checking the poster again, Mike saw that Mac's travelling fair of wonders would be situated on the village green, and that it would be opening that very night. His excitement levels rose. There was every likelihood that the fair would already be setting up right this very minute. Checking the time once more, Mike realised that they might not make it to school in time for first bell, but if they ran, 
they'd make it by second bell. Even Mac's travelling fare of wonders, featuring Mr. Maxwell's old worldy curios, was not worth Mike staying back behind after school was over. Run! he yelled. We don't want to be late! With cheers and huge grins, the friends all raced off towards Fall Cliff Public School. Mac's travelling fare of wonders was the talk of the day at school. Mike and his mates were discussing amongst themselves the chance that they would be going to the fair that night. They knew that money was tight for everyone right now. Well, everyone that is, except for the O'Johnson family. Most of the crops had failed this year after being wiped out by a mysterious blight. Only the O'Johnson's crops were spared. This had made the O'Johnson's even harder to be around as they shoved their good fortune in their friends' and neighbours' faces. Mike secretly believed that the O'Johnson family were behind the mysterious blight, though he had no proof of that. Mike had hoped to take a detour past the village green after school let out to have a peek at the fair, but his hopes were dashed when he spotted his parents' old beat-up orange Dodge pickup parked out in front of the school. We were in the neighbourhood, and we thought we'd spare you the long walk home, especially since we know that you have a lot of homework to do and your chores to finish before... And here they paused, grinning like Cheshire cats. You can go to the fair with us tonight, they finished. They laughed when they saw the impact of their words on Mike. He threw back his head and laughed like a madman. Jumping into the back of the truck, he yelled goodbye to his mates. That night, Mike lined up with his parents to enter the fair. The fair was shrouded by a mysterious fog. Once they entered the fair, Mike gasped. He didn't know what he had expected, as the only fair that he had seen before was a drab, worn affair. The tents were patched and mouldering, the amusements were outdated, and the rides creaked along, threatening to collapse at any minute. But Mac's travelling fair of wonders was bright and shiny. Mike didn't know where to look first. It was all so dazzling. Clowns, jugglers, magicians, unicorns, fire-eaters, fortune-tellers, and more. The fair seemed to stretch for miles, that had to be a special effect, as the village green wasn't that large. Mike's parents gave him some money for the attractions, and he went off in search of the others. He quickly found them outside the largest, brightest tent there, Mr. Maxwell's old worldy curios. Mike was again amazed. He had expected a dingy old tent smelling of mothballs and mould. Mike and his mates approached the tent in awe, staring at the images painted into the scarlet canvas. Mythical beasts, scary monsters, hideous animals, and more. The painted figures were moving and screaming, but that had to be another special effect. Mike and his mates stepped inside the tent and were instantly transported into an amazing world, or worldy, of wonders. Shrunken heads of all shapes and sizes, sharks' teeth and bears' claws, crystal skulls, full 
human skeletons, and much more were spread out before them. It was a veritable Aladdin's cave of curios. The inside of the tent seemed to hold far more than was humanly possible. But the most amazing part of the exhibition was yet to be discovered. When they stumbled upon the rogues' gallery of wax figurines, they were startled. The figurines were amazing. Each figure was convincingly lifelike. The eyes in particular seemed very realistic, full of expression. They seemed to follow him around the room. He shivered. He expected them to start to move at any second. There were figures of all shapes and sizes, men, women, and children. Some were dressed as pirates, some were dressed as murderous-looking villains. Even the childlike figures were unpleasant to look at. As they looked closer at the rogues' gallery, they were once more startled as one of the figures started to move. Short and bespectacled, his hair was thinning on top of his head. He glared at them fiercely and shouted, Boo! at them before bursting into laughter. The figure stepped away from the rogues' gallery and produced a bag of sweets from his pocket. Offering them to Mike and his friends, he introduced himself. I'm Mr. Maxwell, and this is my old world of curios. Mr. Maxwell was a kindly old man, full of interesting tales, but it was hard for Mike to keep his attention on Mr. Maxwell, as he swore that the wax figures kept looking at him. Every time he turned back to the figures, they were in a different position. He then heard muffled laughter coming from behind the rogues' gallery. It was one of the O'Johnsons, Ben, the youngest son. Ben laughed at Mike. You should have seen your face. You looked like you were going to pee your pants. With that, Ben was joined by his brothers, and they ran around the tent, teasing Mr. Maxwell, knocking into the display shelves, and behaving as badly as they always did. A curious expression flickered in Mr. Maxwell's pale eyes, and Mike was scared. Boys, would you kindly stop that? Mr. Maxwell begged the O'Johnsons to stop, but they continued to destroy his tent. He tried again. I'll have to speak with your parents about your behaviour. But again they just laughed, ran out of the tent, bumping into the crowd as they went. Mike spoke up. I'm sorry about the O'Johnsons. They always cause trouble around here. And I think their parents are proud of their behaviour. Again, that strange look appeared in Mr. Maxwell's eyes briefly. Then he shook his head, offered Mike and his friends another suite, and started the job of tidying up. The boys assisted, chatting to Mr. Maxwell as they did. Mike had to keep rubbing his eyes as the wax figures still seemed to be following him with their eyes. Mike and his friends soon left to explore the rest of the fair. They didn't see any more of the O'Johnsons, but they did hear that the boys had caused a lot of damage to the various attractions. Mr. Maxwell had thanked them for their assistance and had told them that they could come back every night as his guests. Max, travelling fair of wonders, stayed for a few more nights. Each night, Mike and his friends dropped by Mr. Maxwell's tent 
and each night there were new sights to see. The wax figures continued to scare Mike, but he felt silly. On the last night of the fair, Mr. Maxwell thanked them again for their kindness. We are packing up tonight, so this is goodbye. He offered them all a suite and paused to add, There will not be any more trouble from the O'Johnsons either. And on that note, he retreated back into his tent. The next morning the fair was gone, and so was the O'Johnson family. The house looked as if they had just stepped out for a few minutes. Food was still on the plates, and the animals were wandering around, looking to be fed. No one could explain their strange disappearance. Mr. Maxwell smiled, a strange gleam in his eyes, as he adjusted the clothes on his new wax figures. They were a fine-looking family, and these ten figurines would take pride of place in his rogues' gallery. The End If you would like to know more about Ghostly Echoes and more about the Chapter Book Challenge, head over to Facebook and look for the Chapter Book Challenge Facebook page. And now I'll bring to you a family favourite, The Twelve Dancing Princesses by the Brothers Grimm. There was a king who had twelve beautiful daughters. They slept in twelve beds, all in one room, and when they went to bed, the doors were shut and locked up. But every morning, their shoes were found to be quite worn through, as if they had been danced in all night, and yet nobody could find out how it happened, or where they had been. Then the king made it known to all the land, that if any person could discover the secret, and find out where it was that the princesses danced in the night, he should have the one he liked best for his wife, and should be king after his death. But whoever tried and did not succeed, after three days and nights, should be put to death. A king's son soon came. He was well entertained, and in the evening was taken to the chamber, next to the one where the princesses lay in their twelve beds. There he was to sit and watch where they went to dance, and in order that nothing might pass without his hearing it, the door of his chamber was left open. But the king's son soon fell asleep, and when he awoke in the morning, he found that the princesses had all been dancing, for the soles of their shoes were full of holes. The same thing happened the second and third night, so the king ordered his head to be cut off. After him came several others, but they all had the same luck, and all lost their lives in the same manner. Now it chanced that an old soldier, who had been wounded in battle and could fight no longer, passed through the country where this king reigned. And as he was travelling through a wood, he met an old woman, who asked him where he was going. "'I hardly know where I am going, or what I had better do,' said the soldier." "'but I think I should like very well to find out where it is "'that the princesses dance, and then in time I might be a king.' "'Well,' said the old dame, "'that is no very hard task. "'Only take care not to drink any of the wine "'which one of the princesses will bring to you in the evening, "'and as soon as she leaves, you pretend to be fast asleep.' "'Then she gave him a cloak and said, as soon as you put that on, you will become invisible, and you will then be able to follow the princesses wherever they go. 
When the soldier heard all this good counsel, he determined to try his luck. So he went to the king, and he was willing to undertake the task. He was very well received, as the others had been, and the king ordered fine royal robes to be given him. And when the evening came, he was led to the outer chamber. Just as he was going to lie down, the eldest of the princesses brought him a cup of wine. But the soldier threw it all away secretly, taking care not to drink a drop. Then he laid himself down on his bed, and in a little while began to snore very loud, as if he was fast asleep. When the twelve princesses heard this, they laughed heartily, and the eldest said, This fellow too might have done a wiser thing than lose his life in this way. Then they rose up and opened their drawers and boxes, and took out all their fine clothes, and dressed themselves at the glass, and skipped about as if they were eager to begin dancing. But the youngest said, I don't know how it is. While you are so happy, I feel very uneasy. I am sure some mischance will befall us. You simpleton, said the eldest. You are always afraid. Have you forgotten how many king's sons have already watched in vain? And as for this soldier, even if I had not given him his sleeping draught, he would have slept soundly enough. When they were all ready, they went and looked at the soldier, but he snored on, and did not stir hand or foot. So they thought they were quite safe. The eldest went up to her own bed and clapped her hands. The bed sunk into the floor, and a trap-door flew open. The soldier saw them going down the trap-door, one after another, the eldest leading the way, and thinking he had no time to lose, he jumped up, put on the cloak, which the old woman had given him, and followed them. But in the middle of the stairs he trod on the gown of the youngest princess, and she cried out to her sisters, "'All is not right. Someone took hold of my gown.' "'You silly creature,' said the eldest. "'It is nothing but a nail in the wall.' Then they all went, and at the bottom they found themselves in a most delightful grove of trees, and the leaves were all of silver, and glittered, and sparkled beautifully. The soldier wished to take away some token of the place, so he broke off a little branch, and there came a loud noise from the tree. Then the youngest daughter said again, "'I am sure all is not right. Did you not hear that noise? That had never happened before.' But the eldest said, It is only our princes who are shouting for joy at our approach. Then they came to another grove of trees, where all the leaves were of gold, and afterwards to a third, where the leaves were all glittering diamonds. And the soldier broke a branch from each, and every time there was a loud noise, which made the youngest sister tremble with fear. But the eldest still said, it was only the princes who were crying for joy. So they went on till they came to a great lake, and at the side of the lake there lay twelve little boats with twelve handsome princes in them, who seemed to be waiting there for the princesses. One of the princesses went into each boat, and the soldier stepped into the same boat with the youngest. As they were rowing over the lake, the prince, who was in the boat, with the youngest princess and the soldier, said, I do not know why it is, but though I am rowing with all my might, 
we do not get on so fast as usual, and I am quite tired. The boat seems very heavy tonight. It is only the heat of the weather, said the princess. I feel it very warm, too. On the other side of the lake stood a fine, illuminated castle, from which came the merry music of horn and trumpets. There they all landed and went into the castle, and each prince danced with his princess, and the soldier, who was all the time invisible, danced with them too. And when any of the princesses had a cup of wine set by her, he drank it all up, so that when she put the cup to her mouth it was empty. At this, too, the youngest sister was terribly frightened, but the eldest always silenced her. They danced on till three o'clock in the morning, and then all their shoes were worn out, so that they were obliged to leave off. The princes rode them back again over the lake, but this time the soldier placed himself in the boat with the eldest princess, and on the opposite shore they took leave of each other. The princesses promising to come again the next night. When they came to the stairs, the soldier ran on before the princesses and laid himself down, and as the twelve sisters slowly came up very much tired, they heard him snoring in his bed. So they said, Now all is quite safe. Then they undressed themselves, put away their fine clothes, pulled off their shoes, and went to bed. In the morning, the soldier said nothing about what had happened, but determined to see more of this strange adventure, and went again the second and third night, and everything happened just as before. The princesses danced each time till their shoes were worn to pieces, and then returned home. However, on the third night, the soldier carried away one of the golden cups as a token of where he had been. As soon as the time came when he was to declare the secret, he was taken before the king with the three branches and the golden cup, and the twelve princesses stood listening behind the door to hear what he would say. And when the king asked him, Where do my twelve daughters dance at night? He answered, With twelve princes in a castle underground. And then he told the king all that had happened and showed him the three branches and the golden cup which he had brought with him. Then the king called for the princesses, and asked them whether what the prince said was true. When they saw that they were discovered, and that it was of no use to deny what had happened, they confessed it all, and the king asked the soldier which of them he would choose for his wife. He answered, I am not very young, so I will have the eldest and they were married that very day, and the soldier was chosen to be the king's heir. The End Rumpelstiltskin by the Brothers Grimm By the side of a wood, in a country long way off, ran a fine stream of water, and upon that stream there stood a mill. The miller's house was close by, and the miller, you must know, had a very beautiful daughter. She was, moreover, very shrewd and clever, and the miller was so proud of her that one day he told the king of the land, who used to come and hunt in the wood, that his daughter could spin gold out of straw. Now this king was very fond of money, and when he heard the miller's boast, 
his greediness was raised, and he sent for the girl to be brought before him. Then he led her to a chamber in his palace, where there was a great heap of straw, and gave her a spinning wheel, and said, All this must be spun into gold before morning, as you love your life. It was in vain that the poor maiden said that it was only a silly boast of her father, for that she could do no such thing as spin straw into gold. The chamber door was locked, and she was left alone. As she sat down in one corner of the room and began to bewail her hard fate, a sudden knock and the door opened, and a droll-looking little man hobbled in and said, "'Good morrow to you, my good lass. What are you weeping for?' Alas, she said, I must spin this straw into gold, and I know not how. What will you give me, said the hobgoblin, to do it for you? My necklace, replied the maiden. He took her at her word and sat himself down to the wheel, and whistled and sang, Round about, round about, lo and behold, reel away, reel away, straw into gold. And around about the wheel went merrily. The work was quickly done, and the straw was all spun into gold. When the king came and saw this, he was greatly astonished and pleased. But his heart grew still more greedy of gain, and shut up the poor miller's daughter again with a fresh task. Then she knew not what to do, and sat down once more to weep. But the dwarf soon opened the door, and said, what will you give me to do your task? The ring on my finger, she said. So her little friend took the ring and began to work at the wheel again and whistled and sang. Round about, round about, lo and behold, reel away, reel away, straw into gold, till long before morning all was done again. The king was greatly delighted to see all this glittering treasure, but still he had not enough, so he took the miller's daughter to yet a larger heap, and said, All this must be spun to-night, and if it is, you shall be my queen. As soon as she was alone, the dwarf came in and said, What will you give me to spin gold for you this third time? I have nothing left, she said. Then say you will give me, said the little man. The first little child that you may have when you are queen. That may never be, thought the miller's daughter, and she knew no other way to get her task done. So she said she would do what he asked. Round went the wheel again to the old song, and the mannequin once more spun the heap into gold. The king came in the morning, and finding all he wanted, was forced to keep his word. So he married the miller's daughter, and she really became queen. At the birth of her first little child, she was very glad, and forgot the dwarf, and what she had promised. But one day he came into her room, where she was sitting playing with her baby, and put her in mind of it. Then she grieved sorely at her misfortune, and said she would give him all the wealth of the kingdom if he would let her off but in vain, till at last her tears softened him, and he said, I will give you three days' grace, and if during that time you tell me my name, you shall keep your child. 
Now the queen lay awake all night, thinking of all the odd names that she had heard, and she sent messages all over the land to find out new ones. The next day the little man came, and she began with Timothy, Ichabod, Benjamin, Jeremiah, and all the names she could remember. But to each and all of them he said, Madam, that is not my name. The second day she began with all the comical names that she could hear of, Bandylegs, Hunchback, Crookshanks, and so on. But the little gentleman still said no to every one of them. Madam, that is not my name. The third day one of the messengers came back and said, I have travelled two days without hearing of any other names, but yesterday, as I was climbing a high hill, among the trees of the forest, where the fox and hare bid each other good night, I saw a little hut, and before that hut burnt a fire, and around that fire a funny little dwarf was dancing upon one leg and singing, Merrily the feast I'll make, tomorrow O oh brew, tomorrow bake. Merrily I'll dance and sing, for next day we'll do a stranger bring. Little does my lady dream, Rumpelstiltskin is my name. When the queen heard this, she jumped for joy, and as soon as her little friend came, she sat down upon her throne and called all her court around to enjoy the fun. The nurse stood by her side with the baby in her arms, as if it was quite ready to be given up. Then the little man began to chuckle at the thought of having the poor child to take home with him to his hut in the woods, and he cried out, Now, lady, what is my name? Is it John? asked she. No, madam. Is it Tom? No, madam. Is it Jemmy? It is not. Can your name be Rumpelstiltskin? said the lady slyly. Some witch told you! Some witch told you! cried the little man, and dashed his right foot in a rage so deep into the floor that he was forced to lay hold of it with both hands to pull it out. Then he made the best of his way off, while the nurse laughed and the baby crowed, and all the court jeered at him for having had so much trouble for nothing, and they said, We wish you a good morning and a merry feast, Mr. Rumpelstiltskin. The End and we have run out of time for now, and so I will return with some more stories from the Rothers Grimm down the line. If you have a favourite fairy tale you would like to share, please don't hesitate to send me an email at thestoryweaverpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we'll be back on Wednesday with Poems by Bron, and on Friday I will be discussing mental health and writing. So if you have any questions please send them in to thestoryweaverpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you. The Story Weaver podcast intro and outro were created by Paul using licensed music from Stock 20. Paul is also the editor for the show. If you would like to contact me, you can send me an email to thestoryweaverpodcast at gmail.com. Farewell for now, dear friends.